0: From WLRN News in Miami, this is Detention by Design. I'm Danny Rivero. This episode contains some discussion about suicide. If you or anyone you know needs help, you can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline by calling or texting the number 988. That's 988. Last time on Detention by Design, we heard the story of Abel Jean-Simon Zafir, who was on one of the first boats of Haitian migrants to arrive in Florida in 1973? Another migrant who came on a different boat, a man named Turin Deville, took his own life in a Florida jail rather than face deportation back to a country ruled by the Duvalier dictatorship. That case started to bring attention to what was happening to Haitian migrants trying to plead for political asylum in the US. Zafir remembers how the tragic suicide of Turin Deville began to swing things in a different direction.
1: People came to United States asking for political asylum have to hang themselves because they don't want to go home. This is not acceptable. And this is, I think, that
0: radicalized the movement. Remember, while Zafir sat in the detention center in Texas, there was actually a pretty straightforward way to get out, even though it was inaccessible at the time. The federal government would let out the migrants if they could post bond money to make sure they'd show up to future court dates. The problem was, the new arrivals didn't have any money. And since they were part of an early wave of Haitian asylum seekers, most didn't have any family that could help them either. So they were just stuck in these jails and detention centers. Then, people started paying attention. I
1: mean, everybody get involved, and you got people from, Shirley Susan from New York, Father Adrian uh, is a Haitian exile who was expelled in 1969 by Duvalier father. And they noticed how the pain that we're in, everybody come together, black, white, the Jew, and they say, hell no, that's not going to continue. And they raised the money and they post a bond.
0: Zafir said students at Columbia University in New York also played a major role broadcasting on a university radio station to collect bond money and win the release of the Haitians. In June of 1974, Zafir and dozens of other Haitians were released from this detention center in Texas and brought to Miami. Between the small jail in Immokalee, Florida, and the federal detention facility near the U.S.-Mexico border, Zafir had spent nine months in immigration detention. And at the time of his release, there really weren't that many Haitians in Florida. Most of them were based in the Northeast. But there was one organization in Miami called the Haitian Refugee Center. And its building in today's little Haiti neighborhood in Miami became the heart and soul of the community. The few Haitians that were in Florida helped one another. They also started getting help from all kinds of other groups the Black American community, the labor movement, and the Cuban community, which by then had a pretty strong foothold in Miami after the Communist Revolution in 1959. We were
1: lucky to get the best lawyer from the Jewish community, the American community, for free. And that is the strength of the United States. The American people have a great capacity to correct
0: the wrong and to give you a hope. The strong feeling of solidarity with the broader Cuban community in Miami would prove to be fleeting, something that we will be getting into more in the future episodes. But at the time, the support was real. A group called the Cuban American Service Agency organized a drive to collect food and money for the Haitians as they were released from jails. Zafir remembers the moment when the Cuban fisherman who helped him on the high seas, Captain Pepe, reunited with him at the Haitian Refugee Center.
1: I remember one day we were at the center. Captain Pepe came with his family. Oh, this is my God. I pray. So he, he He's so happy to see us. And he said, how about those people to freedom? He said, I read the paper. I know you are free. And it was a celebration. It's a Cuban. But that day is a human being. The struggle for freedom is not limited to black or white. It is a human history.
0: The Jewish community emerged as one of the strongest groups of support for the new Haitian arrivals. And that support from the Jewish community in Miami was especially poignant because of the story of the SS St. Louis, one of the darkest chapters of U.S. history from the World War II era. A ship filled with European Jewish refugees came to Miami, but the federal government did not allow the ship to dock or let anyone off the boat. That ship, the SS St. Louis was sent back to Europe. And many of those Jewish passengers were killed in the Holocaust. I'm the son of an immigrant. One of the Jewish Miamians who pitched in to help Haitians was immigration attorney Ira Kurzban.
2: My father came here. My father had to leave his country when he was 12 years old on his own. Made it eventually to Montreal and then into the United States. Developed a business had four sons. One was a doctor, one was an engineer, two of them were a lawyer. That's the American dream. That's what we are about
0: as a country. Zafir was out of jail now in 1974 and out of the detention center. But he was still waiting to have his immigration case heard by a judge. So technically, he was out on parole. And in the meantime, more and more Haitian boats started showing up in Florida. In August of 1976, a boat full of 132 Haitians landed. And this news clip from WFOR paints a scene of how the U.S. government was thinking about this.
1: In the past several years, 1,500 Haitians have come here like this. They all say that they faced political or economic oppression at home. Immigration official G.R. Adams says, as with the others, the current group probably will not be given asylum.
2: At the present time, the people that we've talked to and interviewed have claimed that this is an economic situation. No one has made any plea for political asylum as yet. Uh, when that'll happen, I I can't say.
0: It's it's a good chance that that's what will happen.
1: On that basis of economics, uh,
2: is there any chance that they could stay in this country?
0: It hasn't in the past, no. At this point in time, in the mid to late 70s, this is the stance of the federal government, that Haitians were fleeing poverty and not a U.S.-friendly political dictatorship that had just been passed down from father to son, from papa doc to baby doc, And so this claim by the federal immigration officials that no Haitians had pleaded for political asylum, this was not true. Haitians were pleading for political asylum. And as the boats kept arriving, the U.S. kept detaining Haitians in local jails and kept denying that they were pleading for political asylum. And there wasn't enough money coming in from fundraising efforts to just keep bonding everyone out. So Haitians stayed in jail for months and months on end while they waited for legal help. This practice was started under Republican President Richard Nixon, continued under fellow Republican Gerald Ford, and it was also continued under Democratic President Jimmy Carter, who was elected in 1976. Attorney Ira Kurzban worked on some of these cases in the late 70s.
2: One of my most vivid memories was the detention of a 14-year-old girl in the West Palm Beach Jail alone. Uh, without her family Um, and uh, so it was kind of emblematic
0: of the policy, which was, how do we discourage Haitians from coming? The small but growing Haitian community in Miami caught wind of this and started mounting protests against the treatment of migrants and the political conditions in Haiti. The political repression, the disappearances of opposition figures, President Carter Personally got involved in a push to free political prisoners in Haiti in 1977. And yet, his government was still throwing Haitians in jail when they came to the US. Jacques Montpremier was the head of the Haitian Refugee Center, and he pleaded with the Carter administration for help at a rally in downtown Miami.
1: Haitian refugee demonstrated against the police that for life of Duvalier regime. They must go back, but they say they will never go back under such a regime, such a suppression. They are tired of being in jail. They are tired of being suppressed for so many years in Haiti, for 20 years of suppression. Now they want President Carter, with his administration, do something for Haitian people. Give them rights. Give them freedom. Set them free from jail. Give them
2: authorization for
0: war. By 1978, The Carter administration said 58 Haitians had been granted political asylum since the first Haitian boat arrived six years earlier. 58 out of more than 1,500 people. Most of those who did get political asylum were part of the Haitian government that was in place before Papadoc came to power in 1957. The U.S. government said they had a legitimate reason to fear going back. Some of them were involved in an attack at the presidential palace to try to overthrow the dictatorship. Here's how a young Ira man explained why most Haitians were being denied asylum at the time. The policy in regard
2: to Haitian refugees
0: is determined almost solely by the State Department and the White House. That policy is that we have ongoing diplomatic relations with Haiti, that those are diplomatic relations that we don't want to disturb and that an admission that we're admitting people to this country's political refugees, in effect, is an admission that the political conditions in Haiti are not as good as they should be. A study published by Duke University found that in 1975 and 1976, the U.S. granted asylum to 95% of people who fled from communist countries. But when it came to people fleeing right-wing dictatorships, like Haiti, only 5% of refugees were granted asylum. Back in Haiti, Marlene Bastien, who we met in part one, had just finished her schooling. And she wanted more than anything to be a doctor, a dream that was not panning out.
2: Because I grew up under a dictatorship, you know, I could not, you know, study. Because uh, in order to be accepted uh, in the medical school, you have to have like a parent. Someone connected with the Duvalier regime. A parent is like a godfather. Uh, I was very—I became very frustrated after I was denied the uh, entrance. Um, and then I started, you know, uh, organizing in Haiti, which
0: at that time uh, could be a death sentence. Bastien started working underground and organizing pro-democracy actions across the country. But by the late 1970s, her father had already moved to Florida after receiving threats from the Tonton Makouts that militia that murdered and tortured people. Bastien's father managed to get a visa and moved to Belle Glade, a small city in Florida's sugarcane region, right on the shores of Lake Okeechobee. Because he was like, perceived as a leader,
2: he was hired immediately as a, uh, by the Health and Rehabilitative Services. So his role was to facilitate the adjustment process and also to support the refugees, because a lot of them, you know, left Haiti for the first time from their village, from the villages, and uh, they needed help to help them uh, adjust. He was helping with applications, interpretation and all. So when when he heard that I gave an interview at the famous Radio ATN tear. He became very concerned. Both him and my mom, they became very concerned. And then they advised me to leave and then, you know, and seek political asylum here.
0: The growing number of Haitians lucky enough to be released after being detained for months on end is starting to put stress on local governments in the late 1970s. In Miami, the deputy manager of the Dade County government, Dewey Knight, puts out a call for help, for additional funding for the local government.
1: The most important thing, at least as we see it, is there needs to be immediate uh, financial assistance to the local community so that we can get about the business of meeting the basic needs of a substantial number of people in this community.
0: And the boats just kept coming. The following news clips are from 1979 and the first of them is from a story of 30 Haitians landing on Hollywood Beach. And the guy speaking looks like a total surfer dude with no shirt and long blonde hair.
2: Well, last night we were sitting out in front of the place here and having a couple drinks, me and my girlfriend, and we saw this strange boat coming up. Went down to the beach to look at it, and we saw like a few people on the boat. And the boat came all the way up to the beach and all of a sudden, all these black people are like running all over the place saying, Is this Miami? Is this Miami? Police were just like pulling them back like five at a time. It's exactly what happened.
1: Did any of them talk to you?
2: One of them did. One of them came up and said, Hey, brother, what's up, man? Is this Miami? I go, Yeah. And it's the biggest smile on his face. I mean, I've never seen anybody so happy before. Around six o'clock this morning, 53 Haitian aliens sailed into the port of Miami on board this 35-foot makeshift sailboat. By By 1980,
0: this steady tick-tick of Haitian boats seen on the nightly news was starting to stir up resentments in South Florida. And local governments started voicing frustration, calling for help from the federal government. But the arrival of migrants by sea was still mostly being looked at as a regional thing. It didn't impact most Americans. Little did anyone know, what was happening in Florida would soon become a major issue for the whole country. And it would force a wholesale reevaluation of the role of immigration detention. Next time on Detention by Design, a new crisis erupts in the Caribbean, this time on the communist island of Cuba. And the backlash against the immigrants arrives.
1: One of the most difficult human problems I've ever had to face as president has been the refugees that have come here from Cuba and from Haiti this year, sometimes a few days in an uncontrollable stream. We didn't anticipate it. Our laws were not designed to accommodate three or four thousand refugees coming here per day.
0: Archival clips in this episode came from WTVJ and WFOR. Detention by Design is a production of WLRN News. It's edited by Alicia Zuckerman. We also had editing help from Tracy Egbas and Tim Paget. Thanks, too, to the rest of the WLRN Newsroom. Fact-checking by Amy Tardif. Jacqueline Charles is our consultant. Engineering and sound design by Merritt Jacob. Detention by Design is reported and produced by me, Danny Rivero.